to be thankful to the Lord. Amen. I wrote a song in a revival I had in the year 2002, maybe? Or was it 2000? How the first assembly of God, now they call it Bluff First. But uh, Steve Murphy was on the keyboards with me. And it was about, it is time, it is time to give thanks unto the Lord. It is time, it is time to worship and adore. Lift up holy hands, praising our King. I don't remember the rest of the words, but it's all right, even though God gave them to me. It's been a while since I sang it, but it was a dynamic song. And, uh, you know, it's funny how God does things because sometimes we get blessed with things that we're not normally gifted as much in. But I used to write poems a lot. Now they call them raps. <laughs> but uh, I used to turn them into little Christian rock songs way back in the day. had a little Christian rock band when I was in high school. Hank Bowes was on the guitar and Don Hendricks was on the bass and Randy Urich played the drums and Steve Hubbard played the keyboards and I was the lead singer I don't know how that happened anyway you know if you just got a little grit and a little rasp you can get by you know in the rock world so but we uh, we'd sing different places and they had a coffee house now it's a parking lot down there across from the post office and there was an old building down there, and it was behind. At that time, I think it was called Don White uh, Drum Shop. And uh, anyway, that building, we turned it into a coffee house for Ford Call Crazy. And so my little band would sing up there on Friday nights. And different young people would come in there and, and uh, hang out a little bit. Anyhow, that was a while back. It's called the New Wineskins. That was the name of my Christian rock band. We weren't the old wineskins. <laughs> we had the long hair to prove it. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, I always love being around music. I enjoy it, whatever kind of music it is. But tonight, this is really Thanksgiving uh, Wednesday, but I'm not going to talk about Thanksgiving in my message, but I want to talk to you about how to prevent and deal with spiritual backlash. Have any of y'all had any backlash since you became a Christian? You know, sometimes people don't want to believe that you're really a Christian. And uh, as leaders, they don't want to go along with you at times. But uh, here's a quote. It's by Margaret Thatcher, who was the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom back from 1979 to 1990, she said, you may have to fight a battle more than once to win it. Think about that. You know, just because you fight and win one battle doesn't mean you're never going to fight again. You've got to keep fighting. And that's kind of that thing about AA and different groups like that, recovery groups, because you've got to keep fighting the good fight, you know, to overcome the devil comes at you in a different way. I was talking to Philip before the service and how people are just people. It doesn't matter who they are, you know. They pee just like you pee. They, they wear clothes. They got noses and ears and eyes, you know. They're just human beings. But then the Lord anoints somebody, and wow, you're enamored with that guy on TV or or when you go to a service and they're preaching, or just something else. You know, when I went to Mexico, I've been there so many times, they treat me like royalty down there. And there was probably 550 to 600 people there on a Sunday morning. But those people just love to get their picture made with me. And there are not too many Mexicans as tall as me. You know, they're rare, but they are there. George, the associate pastor, was like 6'5", you know. I said, this is one of the few Mexicans I have to look up to. But uh, I usually stand there, and there's their heads right about here. And I just put my arm 
around them like that and get my picture made with the whole family. But uh, they love that because they feel something when you minister to them. Like you said, the prophetic or something. When you have something for somebody, it just changes their life. And so they look at you as, boy, you're a special person. Well, we have a special God. We have an anointing on our life that God breathes on, and that anointing comes under a little bit of fire, and there's an aroma that goes off. And uh, so there's a lot of neat things that happen. Then on the other side, we have powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. We've got an enemy, and he comes at us, and he wants to bring you down. He doesn't like it if you're serving God and if you're glorifying Jesus. He'll try to trip you up, and he'll try to especially, the higher up you go, the more likely he's going to try to trap you or trip you up in some way. But, you know, it doesn't matter. Grace, God's grace is sufficient, and he can satisfy the, the problem that you have against you. And so uh, people have a long memory. God doesn't. He forgives and forgets. But it's people that remember your failures and your problems and your issues. You know, they'll remember those things. Anyway, John 10 and 10 says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Hey, the thief only comes to do three things, steal, kill, and destroy. And I'll tell you what, he, he doesn't want to just steal from you or kill you. He wants to destroy you and your home and your family and everything about you. He, and if you're in the ministry, he'd like to d destroy the ministry that you have. You know, that's his agenda. He is very efficient at his job. I don't even want to use the word good because he's not good on his job. He's efficient. He, he knows how to attack people. So those attacks will come and they will go. But God's intention for us is for us to have life and life more abundantly. And I think that's awesome. What does that mean? Does it mean, oh, he just wants us to have a bowl of soup and a piece of bread every day? Well, if that's what's available, that's fine. I like soup. In fact, my wife's going to make some gumbo. When, when are we going to have that, Friday? On Friday night, we're going to eat gumbo. And we got the real, what kind of sausage is that again? And Andouille sausage. That's the Cajun sausage. That's what will light up and bite you right in the tongue. And I'm telling you, but it's good stuff. Anyway, that's going to be delicious. I'm hungry right now. I haven't eaten supper yet. But anyway, uh, the enemy comes to rob you, but God comes to save you and bless you. But not just a little bit, not just with a little bowl of soup. He wants you to have more than enough for everything. He wants you to have uh, meat. He wants you to have fruit. He wants you to have vegetables, bread. Man, I'm telling you, you know, uh, I've been fighting the good fight with sugar, and I check my sugar every morning, and I take some a pill, you know, to try to counteract it, and then it depends on what I'm eating, too. But it's amazing how God has been working with me. Last night, I had an ice cream and a cone. I had a bagel about 9 o'clock with peanut butter and honey on it. You know, I, I just enjoyed myself. Had a piece of chocolate along the way. And I got up, my sugar was 129 this morning. Sometimes there's no, you know, no rhyme or reason. It just is. But I'm thankful. It seems like the less stress you have, the lower your sugar is. So if you can maintain a sobriety of the Holy Spirit in your life, uh, then you just enjoy life. 
I was telling Philip that too. I said, people are too wound up these days. I said, they've got to learn to relax a little bit. You know, just be a normal person. Don't think you've got to be super, you know, duper whatever. Mr. Victory or something. We want the victory, but you don't have to run around with a big V on your chest trying to prove it. But in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober. We know what that means. Don't be under the influence of anything that's going to alter your ability to live well. Be sober. Be vigilant. That means keep your eyes open, you know, while you're watching. Because your adversary, the devil, everybody say the devil. He's the devil. Flip Wilson used to say, and he would act like he was, what was her name? He, he played this woman, Geraldine. She would say, the devil made me do it. Well, no, the devil can't make you do it. But the devil walks about like a roaring lion. Didn't say he was one. Said he is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, you know, a lion, an old lion, and I've been to Africa. I've been on camera safaris and, and come along where an old lion. These old lions, they got all this mane and they're big. And you, we drive by in the safari van over a little bridge and we look and there's a lion laying right there by the bridge. He doesn't even bat an eye or doesn't even lift his head when we drive by. He just looks old and worn out. Then we came upon this tall grass. We slowed down and we stopped. The guide said, look right there. See that lion's head there? And all of a sudden there's one lion. And there's some Thompson chain gazelles out in the field. And this one lion, young lion, checks his head up. He didn't have a big mane. He's a young lion, like a racehorse. And then all of a sudden a second one raised his head. Then a third one. Until there's like seven or eight of these lions that didn't have manes that raised their heads. And all of a sudden, it was like one, whoever's a ringleader, went pew! And all these others went right out after him. And they chased this. It was like that gazelle should have just died of a heart attack, you know, because all these lions was chasing them. But they narrowed a couple of them down. They nailed them. I mean, took them down. They bite them on their neck where their whatever that is, that artery, and kills it. And then they start to eat it. They don't even cook it. They just start chomping. And that blood's dripping. I saw some cheetahs eating on one. One day a mama cheetah and her little cubs. And I saw uh, another case where they were eating on a zebra. Brought the little horsey down, the striped horse. But I tell you what, the lion, the old lion would roar because he had such a deep voice. It would vibrate the atmosphere. It would petrify the prey. But the young lions don't have the deep voice yet. So they have to lay in the grass and wait and devast. That's when they kind of pop their heads up and go for it. But the old lion would just roar and petrify the prey. And uh, then he'd let the lady lions go and kill it. He'd go over and eat on his own then. But the devil's like that. He's like a roaring lion. I'm not saying he doesn't have teeth, but he's not like the young lions. He's wily in his ways. He's a schemer. And he wants to petrify you. You know, the number one spirit, I believe, in all the years I've been in the ministry, that works with demonic spirits is fear. Every one of the other spirits that is out there, fear works with them. So it doesn't matter what it is. It's always going to be fear in there. Fear petrifies people. It causes people to do things that they wouldn't normally do. 
But he is like that. He's seen who can he devour, who can he take down. So you see, you're going to have backlash from the enemy when you decide to follow Jesus. So everybody feels so good after they first get saved. You know, I had one of the workers at the nursing home today. I was visiting Rick Hembush, and, and she heard me praying over him. And then when I popped my head back up after laying hands on him, praying for him, she said, oh, amen. She said, I'm just a new Christian. I've just come to know Jesus for a couple of months. And I said, great, I'm so happy for you. But, uh, you know, she's on cloud nine right now. And, you know, you can be on cloud nine when you're serving the Lord. It's such a wonderful life. I mean, the feeling you have when you're serving God is great. But then don't <coughs> be surprised when your enemy comes along and says, I'm going to pick on you today. I'm going to try to take you out today. That's why you got to, you know, that's why he said, when two or three are gathered together in his name, he is there in the midst. It's wise to always hang out with two or three. That's why I like to see these young guys come together, hanging out. Because if you're on your own, man, the devil knows he can try to set you up for a fall. But if you've got some buddies that you're hanging out with that are on fire for Jesus too, it, it's great. You can go places, do things. You can make a difference. That's why when I had effective time on the streets of New Orleans, you know, down on Bourbon Street or anywhere, I could witness to people. I could talk to people because I'm just a talker by nature. So I can just talk to anybody. I talk to those voodoo shop guys, and they drive them nuts, you know. I'd try to witness to them and give them a track. They're scared to death of the name Jesus. But others, I had hookers try to pick me up. Don't you want to take somebody home with you tonight? I said, yeah, I'm taking three, me, myself, and I. You know, there's three of us going home tonight. Uh, but uh, they're just people looking for a connection. And it's not in the Holy Spirit, but it's in some spirit. So they want to connect. And so it's wise. And I had people with me so out there witnessing. And yet, you can make a difference. That girl, I witnessed to a gal on the, on the uh, lakefront. She was riding with bikers. I witnessed this whole group of bikers one night out there with my buddy Smiley Roberts. He was a football coach. I was a basketball coach. Then a year or two later, I was witnessing down this French Quarter during the Mardi Gras time, and this gal, there she was again, same girl. She was all spiffed up. She said, hey, we're having a party up in such and such hotel in room so-and-so if you want to come up. I said, no, I don't think I'll be making it tonight. She said, you still religious? I said, I'm still in tune with Jesus. I said, he wants you to be also. And... Uh, penetrated then my wife and I got married and we moved up here and we were working at Grace Methodist and we went back for a visit at Christmas time and her sister threw a big party and a bunch of Christian young adults were there and I was in there I was sitting in the recliner just sitting there and this girl and another girl walks in and she's that platinum blonde that I'd witnessed to on the lakefront and then in the French Quarter and she sees me these big old blue eyes, oceans of blue eyes, runs over and hugs my neck and says, I'm so glad that I get to see you again. She said, you always told me that Jesus loved me. He said, and I went to church with my mom and I got saved. And that was the church that I worked at, but I wasn't there any longer. I was up here and we went back. And it was awesome. She said, People like you never gave up on me. And see, it made a difference. She came to know God because those words were seeds that penetrated her heart. But the devil wants to come like a roaring lion, but he that's what he is. He's just making a lot of noise. Unless you open the door to him, he doesn't have any power to match the power that lives in you. Amen? You know... 
they try to take you out. I remember back when we were in the other building over by the lab there behind Marshall's, and uh, I had a spider bite. Y'all, some may remember that. I got bit by a brown recluse spider. I was down visiting our missionary, Ron Kelly and his wife. Spent the night with them in their house there in uh, the Panhandle area of Florida, there around the, the bay, and uh, a spider got in my boot, and it bit my ankle, and sure enough, you know, I got a spot on my ankle about that big, and it just like it was eating away at my skin, and it was a, uh, it was it was painful. One of the most painful things that I think I ever had in my life was a spider bite, and it because you know what, it gets on you and it damages you like it gets on your nerves trying to eat at your nerves but I, I didn't get, give up I just cleaned it up went to the doctor but there's backlash I mean things like that spider bite happened and then not long after that I had strep cellulitis from eastern Europe I went over there uh, ministering and I came home and I had strep throat didn't know it and poor I got strep cellulitis it got in my arm it went septic through my whole body. I ended up in Barnes Hospital, almost dead. And I cried out to Jesus that sixth night. And I told that story. I won't belabor it. But anyway, I cried out to him, and he, he healed me, got me out of that hospital. So that was another thing that happened. All in about the same two- or three-year period. And then I had a truck wreck. I flipped my truck, and Sherman, I flipped it two times and rolled it three times. It was crunched all the way down to my head. And I remember I, I got my phone, and it was laying on its side. So I stood on the steering wheel and pulled myself out the passenger window. And the highway patrolman came. And he said, and an old lady in a car came out, where's that person that was in that truck? They should be dead. I said, well, they're not. Where are they? Did it throw them out? I said, no, I climbed out. I was the one in that truck. He said, you should be dead. No, I shouldn't. The Lord has a purpose for my life. And so he didn't say it was over again. But you see, backlash is not just from people, but it can be events that happen to you. Try to discourage you and take you out. Well, out of the truck wreck, and then I got rear-ended in front of Aldi's. Somebody's big old... Uh, you know, uh, Tahoe, an old 1990s Tahoe, rear-ended my little 200 car that Chelsea used to drive. And I mean to tell you, it put me into the next person, into the next person, and I had whiplash. I ended up having to have neck surgery. And so I had neck surgery. And they fused these vertebrae right here. And, you know, you're going to have things come against you, no matter what it is. And then we, we were, my, some family members and us got kind of into a situation with houses. I owned a house and I was buying a house. Well, then 2008, the big short happened. And it was a mess because it threw the whole world into turmoil. The Lehman Brothers went under and all kinds of stuff. I could not sell my house for anything. And so the one I was moved into and I was... Uh, paying for the taxes, the insurance, and the family member had purchased it. Well, then they all wanted us to sell. So we went ahead and uh, changed things around. We moved back in the house we live in now and have owned for 20 years. But that was an ordeal, and it's a family situation. It's not like we chose for that to happen. It just happened. So, you know, you, you can't do nothing about it sometimes. And then... You know, when stuff happens and then <coughs> then you have finances and you got to pay for this, that, and the other. And my wife eventually went back to work and saved us in a way because she went back to work, but she was doing what she was called to do, and that's to be a counselor, you know, for drug and rehab, alcohol. And uh, then we had uh, sometimes leaders leave your ministry. And... They move on to others. And, and it's hurtful to your feelings 
but you know what? You have to keep going nevertheless, and you bless them. You don't cuss them out. You bless them out. As they're going out the door, you bless them. God bless you. Okay. Maybe I'll see you again sometime. Well, praise the Lord. Those things happen. And a lot of times they end up coming back, you know, and uh, saying they're sorry or, or they want to come back to the ministry with you. But, you know, things, that's just life. What am I telling you? Things happen to you in life. God doesn't prevent things from happening, but how do you respond to the things that happen? How are you going to live through it, not get mad at God and run away? So many people get mad at God. What do you think you're going to solve by getting mad at God for crying out loud? He's so big and awesome, and he's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. I mean, you can't get away from him. How on earth are you going to be mad at him and get away with it? You're only hurting yourself, you know. That's why I've learned to laugh a lot. You know. <laughs> anyway, you know, you get to laughing. I love those services where somebody starts laughing, and then it's like uh, the flu. It just goes all over the place. And people are laughing everywhere. It's awesome. Anyway, uh, let's look at Second Samuel. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Let me say this. A statement. In increased ministry requires increased intercession. That's why I'm so thankful for the intercession team on Fridays that prays. Because more ministry you do, the more prayer covering you need. Because the enemy is out there to try to harm you in some way. But those intercessors, they'll put an umbrella right over you, you know, to help you. But uh, Deuteronomy 32.30 says, How could one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sowed them and the Lord had surrendered them? In other words, unless the Lord sells you out, one can put a thousand to flight and two can put ten thousand to flight. You know, when you're working with God, all things are possible. I mean to tell you, it's an awesome thing that God does. Uh, they've uh, invited me to do that revival at the Baptist Church there, and, and uh, I don't even remember the name of the little town, but it's outside of... Uh, Myrtle Beach, about 20 miles with the Johnsons, and, and I talked to the deacon, chairman of the deacon board, and he was talking to me about the meetings and all. They're hungry, they're ready, they don't know what. He asked me different things, and uh, I'm kind of smiling, you know, while all these questions are coming. And I just flat told him, I said, you know, I preached some revivals that broke out and went two weeks. I said, so I think I'm going to drive and that way, I don't have a closed deal where I have to fly right back. If it breaks out, I'm going to stay a little longer. And he really liked that, but it's true. I had to fly back to Aguas Calientes before Tino ever started that church. We had a two-week revival, and it could have gone three or four or five weeks, or it could have gone months. I mean, it just kept growing and growing and growing. People got saved. People got called into the ministry filled with the Spirit, all kinds of wild stuff, healings, all kinds of stuff happened in that revival. That's God. God, it was sovereign. God did it. And then, lo and behold, you know, I was came up here in First Assembly. I did nine services. I took a break on Sunday to go preach in Nashville, and then I came back while we are on a family vacation. And I came back for a second week, and then I said, I got to go. I'm supposed to preach in New Orleans, you know. And the next Sunday, so, you know, for Brother Gorman. And so I went and was there like two weeks. I came back a month later. It was like I'd never left. I think, Sister Rocky, were you there at that revival? And we went another whole week. It was awesome. And then there was a Baptist pastor down in Paragould. He was deaf in one ear. And while the praise and worship was going on, God opened his ear. And he came and he said, we need you to come down and preach for us. I went down there to Paragould and their church of about 
I guess, almost 200 people, and about 100 of them got baptized in the Holy Ghost that Sunday. I mean, it's wild, just some wild stuff. They became Baptocostal. You know, it's quite interesting. But revival just breaks out, you know. The enemy would like to stop you, but sometimes he just can't. There, there is a protection around you from those intercessors, and because the anointing says it is time, you're not going to stop this move of God, and so it's time, you know. But backlash, I want, I want you to understand. There's a corporate anointing. That's one of my notes here. And a corporate anointing is when it gets on so many people that they start bringing people. And the worship people just get so anointed. And everything is so anointed, it just breaks out. You don't have to manufacture it. You just got to get out of the way and let it happen. But I'm going to give you a definition of backlash. That's what I'm trying to talk about. Webster says, a quip, quick, sharp recoil like a serpent or a snake. Backlash is when somebody wants to punch you, knock you off your balance, try to bring something against you. And there are those that go through backlash. The enemy finds a little opening and he'll attack to try to stop you. But you know what we have to do? We've got to regroup. And we've got to be restored back into the flow of what God wants to do. 2 Samuel 5, 17 through 20, then we'll do 21 through 22. It talks about victory. Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went down to the strongholds. See, the strongholds where the enemy gets his foot hold and he wants to hinder and stop and so then what's the next verse and they left their images there and David and his men carried them away then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim see the valley of Rephaim that's the giants. How many of y'all have had giants in your life at times? It seemed like a giant. seemed like something you could not overcome. Well, that's when you need a bunch of souls, people filled with the Spirit to join in with you, to help you in the stronghold, to help deliver you out of the enemy's hold and free you up. Because the enemy always tries to find a way to drag you down. And uh, it never, never ceases to amaze me how many times, say, a minister gets into a little trouble. And the first thing is all the other Christians want to do is criticize them. Oh, I knew that would happen eventually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, look out now. You can't get up on that horse without getting knocked down sometimes. Now, there may be a little truth in that sometimes, but the reality is we should be holding people up, not holding them down. Oh, they're about to drown. Let me hold him under a little longer. <laughs> Bryson said he needs to be baptized. I said, well, let's go over to Hampton Inn or something. It really doesn't have to be a big religious event. We'll just go and do it one day. We'll go ask them if we can use this swim pool. Whoever you want to come with, you bring them along. I got John's brother baptized. He didn't even know he was supposed to until I told him, come out to my house. Bring your stuff. You're going to be baptized today. We got him baptized. I thought he wanted to be. I didn't know that he wasn't expecting it. He, he obeyed. He came out and got baptized. You know. But, uh, you know, we can baptize you. I won't hold you under too long. Just long enough. You'll say, yes, Lord. Oh, I'm so glad that I'm free. <coughs> but, uh, you know, it's you don't hold people down to drown them when they're treading water, hardly keeping their head up. That's when they need somebody to come alongside them and hold them up. 
Let them get some oxygen. Yeah. Let them get a little help. So don't be quick to shoot any arrows at anybody that's down. Boy, the enemy's quick to do it. He'll, they'll do it good enough. They don't need our help. Anyway, God wants us to have the victory. Let me give you some principles for preventing backlash. How many want that? You want to know how to prevent it. Number one, faithful follow-up. That, that means prayer after your victories, not just before them. Many times we're praying and praying and praying. Then we have a revival, and we, we're not keeping the prayer going. But no, after we have a victory of some kind, then pray more so the enemy doesn't come back to try to rob you or steal it from you. The second thing is step-by-step inquiry. 2 Samuel 5, 23-25, we'll follow up. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, and he said, You shall not, the Lord said, You shall not go up, circle around behind them. Come up upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly, for then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. You hear that? The Lord will go out before you. And David did so as the Lord commanded him, and he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Giza. You know, and that's so cool. Who was that in the, in the mulberry trees? I think those were angels. It was like a battalion of angels marching through the tops of those trees, scared the Philistines half to death, and they ran for it. And so David and his soldiers pursued them, and they won their victory. See, that's why prayer is so effective. Man, you pray after your victories as well as before them. Number three, guard your heart. Your heart is your emotions and your thought life. It's the way you feel about things. Guard your heart against anger. See, it's all right to be angry, but the Bible says sin not. Hey, I get mad when somebody's doing something bad, but I don't go out and get my pistol and shoot them. Hey, bang, oh, you deserve that. Oh, I'm sorry, I really didn't mean to kill him. <laughs> Anger that leads to wrath is bad news. It's all right to be angry, but don't dwell on it. Don't let anger get you. Bitterness. You know, oh, if they hadn't done that, I'd, I'd have had this and I'd have done this. But they, they did this to me. Well, you know what? Nobody can take you out. You know, God is still, if God be for you, who can be against you? So bitterness or even pride. Oh, yeah. I've told you all there's different kinds of pride. There's pride of the big wheel. Look at me. This is who I am. Don't I look good? Don't I sound good? Man, I'm doing such great things. It's so awesome. That's the big wheel. I'm the big wheel. But then there's the pride of the worm. I always told this on my buddy Randy. He was a Christian rock singer in the Christian band that I had in New Orleans called Firewind. Man, he could sing. He could blow the roof off of it. Somebody said, oh, Randy, that was so good. Oh, hey, thank you. Thank you, Sister Anna. That wasn't me. That was the Lord. I get irritated. You know, it's the pride of the worm. That's not humility. He's, he's saying, yeah, I want some more. See? Oh, that was so good. Oh, thank you, Sister Anna. That wasn't me. That was the Lord. You know how I broke that on him? Because I was the leader of the, the Christian band. I said, Randy, you know what? That sounded just like you. That wasn't the Lord singing. That was you. I said, brother, learn to say thank you when somebody gives you a compliment. It was God who blessed you with such a great voice. Man, if I had your voice, I'd be singing instead of you. You know, but just say thanks. You know, pride of the worm is pride also. 
Don't go around acting like, oh, I didn't ever do anything. When God gave you the talent, he gave you the time, he gave you the time to practice, that was you. Just say thanks. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad it was a blessing to your heart. I'm glad I was able to do that. That's two different prides. And some of it's false pride, you know. Anyway, next one is maintain convictions. You know, you can do certain things, go certain places, but you've got to maintain your convictions. You know, my dad, what a talent. His voice was so awesome. He could sing above high C in his natural voice. That's higher than a falsetto, you know. He didn't have to use a falsetto. He just had no limit. He was, wah, you know. Some of y'all know like Steven Tyler, that's a rock singer. He can go way up there. Well, my dad could do that easily. And he could sing low also. He had like a five octave range, something like that. It was, it was massive. And so he went at 19 years old to Memphis, Tennessee and sang with a group called the Jolly Boys. And they would do gospel quartet music. And they were good. And the guys would always go out after their Christian concerts and s they would go drinking and womanizing. And my dad, that wasn't him, you know. He'd just go back to his room. And after about a month of that, he went and got him a bus ticket and went home to Bird's Corner, Missouri, over by Sykes on the Casper River. Why? Because he had convictions that wouldn't let him do that. Yet he was like the star of the quartet. And you can sing that high note that makes, you know, I can tell you this right now, there are certain things you can do at the sound system. Zach knows this. You raise the volume up on the end of a high note. You raise that volume up, everybody's adrenaline starts going, and they'll get on their feet. They'll be clapping and shouting because somebody can sing. They give them that big moment, they call it, and raise that volume. Woo! Man, they blew the roof off that thing. Well, you can do things in the natural, but when you have that kind of talent, it's almost like you don't need any help. But he was like that. But he kept his convictions. You know, they said he had a million-dollar voice in the 1940s. And yet, you know, hey, a million dollar would be a billion dollars today from the 40s. So, but he didn't care about fame or fortune. He cared about not violating his convictions with the Lord. And God blessed him. He had a good family. And he's in heaven. And my brother and I and my sister, you know, we got some rewards to bring to heaven. You know, people we've won to the Lord and such. And so it's quite an amazing life. What can I say? Uh, you know, there's other things. I remember when I was at Grace Methodist as a youth pastor, there was a man that invited me over to his business, my wife and I. And... His business had room because they had manufacturing. And he brought us out there after we ate dinner that night and said, how many folding chairs do you think somebody could put in this area? I didn't know why he was asking me this. I said, oh, I bet you'd get 100 or so. He said, that'd be great. Are you ready to start a church? I said, no. Sure, I would have liked that exciting adventure. But he was talking about getting some of the people from Grace Methodist to come with him for me to start that church. And I was not going to violate my convictions and harm Vernon Kinnear, his ministry, in doing that. So I chose not to. Same thing happened in House Springs. There's a couple of families that just really liked my preaching. and They thought, hey, you know what? You could start a church here town. We'll back you. They both had businesses and money. And I said, no, I can't do that. I'm sorry. I would never harm this church. And so I think holding those values 
says, help to save me and to keep me safe from violations at times. Maintaining convictions, that's another thing. But Mark 6 and 7 says, And he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. You see, when you maintain your convictions, you can walk in enough purity that God can use you. And because you're keeping your channel clean, it's like a pipe that gets plugged up. The water just won't flow. But you clean that pipe out, and the water just comes out. It's so clear and pure and powerful, and it's awesome. And then we look at spiritual accountability as another one. And uh, before I would move to Missouri, even though I knew that this is what God wanted, I had presbyters in my life. One was Marvin Gorman, one was Ken Summerall, and another one was Ron Kelly, who was over the Living Water International Ministries, and then my brother Jerry. And none of those guys, if one of them would have said, no, you shouldn't do it, I wouldn't have moved here. That's how strongly I felt I need to honor my covering and those men. And so I said, well, you guys pray about it because I really feel this leading to go to Poplar Bluff. And so one by one, came. we don't understand it. Papa Summerall, he said, hey, I've got a church right now down in McAllen, Texas. You know, that's right down there by Brownsville where I go all the time. He said, i got a church down there that I oversee. It's got a 1,000 members, and they're on TBN every Sunday. And he said, I could put you right there. I know how much you love Mexico. That's like being in Mexico and still have all the luxuries of the United States. You know, He said, that'd be a perfect place for you. I said, well, I don't need to leave my church. You know, I've got 35 countries in this church, and most of them are Spanish. You know, It's not that I need to leave a place that has Spanish people to go to a place that has Spanish people. I just need to go to the place of promise where there's a vision to accomplish one day. And it may take a little bit, and it has. It's taken 20 years of sticking out, sticking in there. But we're going to see it. We are. And uh, Zach's going to preach it while I'm helping raise it. But uh, those presbyters, one by one, as they said, we feel like that this God's will. Then I was able to do it. And, and it worked out. But in summary, we have to become... It, an irresistible church and you do it as you learn how to deal with backlash against you in your life you got to stay sweet you can't become bitter people won't want to drink from your well but you have something to drink from you got to stay sweet with your delivery Matthew 16 and 18 says and I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. You know, the plans of the enemy, those gates of, of Hades, that was that place up on that hillside there by the, the, where the creek ran there in Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And, and Simon Peter said, you are the son of the living God. He said, Simon Peter... Flesh and blood didn't reveal us to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And he said, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against you. And that's where they sacrificed humans on the altars of that cave's opening. Its nickname was the gates of Hades right there. And that's where they did sacrifices. How many of y'all believe that Poplar Bluff region is... Uh, got a little bit of bad stuff going on yeah well my buddy Bill Turner who was he's a pastor up in Piedmont now but he went to some kind of uh, occult conference or something how young people he was working at Sears at the time youth center and everybody introduced themselves said they where they were from he said he was from Poplar Bluff Missouri 
and th this was in New Orleans where the conference was held, and they said, man, that's one of the thrones of Satan, you know, there, and I believe it. You know, we have a lot of religion here, but we got a lot of bad stuff here, too, and a lot of it's because this is a drug center. It is a crossroads of five states. There is a lot of drug activity here, but there's a lot of demonic stuff here. All the way from the hills through Donovan, along the Current River, along Black River, through, you know, Kewlin, Brosley, Fisk, outside Rumbar, Lake Wapatella, all the way around the enemy, you know, Dexter. Uh, I won't even get into all of it, but you got the KKK, you got everything here that's bad you might say boy I should move somewhere else no you'd just find another gate there's different gates this is one of the gates that's why they called it little Chicago back in the day it was full of saloons and whorehouses if I can use that language but uh, you know it's been a bad place but where sin doth abound, don't you know the scriptures don't ever lie, where sin doth abound, grace aboundeth much more. So, wow, what kind of revival are we going to have? We're going to have a soul-cleansing, soul-saving, soul-stirring, soul-restoring revival here. It's going to break out to where people can't help themselves. They'll be drawn in off the streets. I had that happen in Florida, South Florida. I know it can happen. So it can happen here too. Yeah. It'll get so big we can't even do it here. We'll have to be out on the highway somewhere else. You know, maybe down at the theaters. Maybe we're going to have to just either rent or buy those theaters. Knock some walls off. Have church in the theater. Yeah. Showtime and the Holy Ghost. But I'm not saying in a prideful way we're not going to put on some show. Hey, I'm going to tell you what, people come out to see. The multitudes came to see Jesus do miracles. And they'll come out again. And that change a lot of their lives. Amen. Well, it's a great Thanksgiving tomorrow. Time to thank God for our salvation, for our loved ones, our families, all that God's going to be doing. What an awesome time this season is. So won't you stand with me? And we'll agree. Lord, we agree that the enemy will have no strongholds that can hold us down or hold us back, that we can live for you 100%, and that we can do things for you as you lead us and guide us. I pray the anointing be on every one of them, that we can be a light in the middle of the darkness, and that nothing can stop us from doing what you want us to do and that you'll draw people in from the north, south, east, west, from the middle of Poplar Bluff and around Butler County and all the counties surrounding, that we'll have a real move of God that can't even be defined, that we'll see miracles, healings, deliverances, and salvations like we've never dreamed in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Happy Thanksgiving. Have a great day tomorrow.